Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. This is Garot. Doesn't sound like I'm on. I got you. This is Garage Logic Podcast number 121. Oh, man, I've got some audio today you're going to have to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's March 21st, 2019, 66 degrees on this day in 1938, and nine below in 1965. And now, from the mayor's office, above the boathouse, on the east shore of Spoon Lake, it's Garage Logic with Rookie on Production. Chris Reavers, Director of Social Media, John Hyde in the newsroom, and occasionally Kenny from the Krabby Coffee Shop. Here is your flashlight king, fireworks commissioner, and keeper of common sense. Your mayor, Joe Suchere. Right, let's let's get the uh, compliments out of the way first. What I look nice. Well, we were talking yesterday about what the. Uh, a procedure would be from a, a, a pilot leaving an aircraft uh, to report uh, trouble to the oncoming crew. Yes. And you insisted that that's, that goes right to mechanics. Mechanical. Uh, yes. Mechanical paperwork. Goes in the log, and the mechanics are the first one to see that. Keith D. Olson, Master Sergeant, United States Air Force, retired in Terry, Montana, writes, Sorry, Mayor, rookie is correct. At least in my 17 years of working on USAF aircraft, rookie's view is correct. By the way, God created aircraft maintainers so pilots could have heroes. <laughs> okay, that's not, that's not all. Oh, there's more? Uh, Randy writes, I'm an engineer. I've worked in the aviation industry for more than 20 years as an engineer in manufacturing and maintenance of airplanes. You guys discussed what happened with the Lion Air flight. The procedure there is that the pilot writes an aircraft log page. Maintenance investigates and works that log page to solve the problem. That action might be completed before the next flight. Now, in some cases, maintenance can investigate and find that the issue isn't that serious and defer maintenance until later. That should not have happened in this case since the flight controls are not generally deferrable since that affects primary control of the airplane. Several articles related to that crash specifically do say that maintenance had been looking at an issue the morning before the ill-fated flight. The fact isn't in print, but most likely that means the issue was, in fact, written up by the logbook, written up in a logbook by a pilot, and maintenance had been investigating the issue. You also discussed how enamored you are with the quality of current airplanes. I could not agree more. Really, when you think about it, there are tens of thousands of flights that successfully happen in the U.S. daily. It's routine to just get on a flight and go somewhere. If you want to compare numbers, there's published statistics about how much safer air travel is than riding in a car. Hmm. What uh, What does make airplanes even safer is that when these crashes occur, we learn. We're constantly learning. You remember DC-10 engines falling off aircraft? Yes, I do. That happened in Chicago. That doesn't happen anymore. How about the Aloha Airlines flight in 1988 where the top of the aircraft peeled back and miraculously landed with only the loss of one life? Yes. I do remember that. Uh, how about the miracle on the Hudson? Uh, how about Tenerife? You recall Tenerife? Two 747s collided. I don't remember Tenerife. Uh, 
I've, I, I must admit, I hope it's not macabre, but I, I, I checked to see the Smithsonian Channel, and they have a show called uh, Air Disasters. Yeah. And I'm, I love flight, and I'm fascinated by it. So once in a while, I will watch Air Disasters. And the other night, they had the crash of a 747 into another 747 on the runway at Tenerife. And what they learned from that, they learned much from that, including the language that must be conveyed from the tower to a pilot. Uh, there has to be now a specific word before a takeoff can occur. The 737 MAX 8 issue will be a new lesson learned. The final solution here will very likely be both software fix and the training, including updates to the pilot's operating manuals. There's a ton of oversight on this, both from the manufacturers and the regulating authorities. These events are tragic. Unfortunately, at the price of lives lost, we'll learn from what happened, and air travel will be safer than it already is as a result. Randy. Hmm. So you, uh, you Is that uh, Randy W? Is his last time show the W? Randy Lutke. Okay, Randy Lutke. Not Randy Wayne White. Um, I will say that uh, I learned from a couple of pilots last night at the airport, Lauren and Harry, and they confirmed what our suspicions were. I'm not gloating, but um, Harry is a uh, former GLer who might get back into the race. He was... uh, he was surprised to learn of the new podcast, but he said, indeed, it would be written up in you the You know how that slot. pains me when I hear that people don't know we're doing a podcast? Um, it's shocking. Uh, I don't think we, it's shocking. I think shocking is too strong. Well, uh, um, it surprises me when I learned that when we transferred over to uh, sports, when we were on the air, that people thought Garage Logic went away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we live with it every day, so we, we knew it did. Anyway, back to the pilots. Uh, and they confirmed that, yes, it would be written up in the maintenance log. And if they saw the pilots in passing, they might voice something. But it might be sitting there for 20 minutes, uh, two hours, or a day. I'm going to add one more thing. Okay. And I don't want this to become a protracted discussion. Yes, praise me some more. Come on, I love this praise. Go ahead. <laughs> the point I was making yesterday is if I'm the pilot of a plane that was that significantly misbehaving, mm-hmm. porpoising, 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 and somehow I managed to figure it out and land it safely, the only point I was trying to make is it's inconceivable to me that me, I, as a pilot, would not con- would, would hang around. I, I'll do whatever I'm supposed to do according to protocol. Obviously, the first thing I'm going to do is tell maintenance or whatever. Right. right? But I'm going to, in, in the event that that paperwork could get logged, uh, clogged up, wouldn't you wait there and say, uh, Ralph, you're, you're supposed to take this thing to Houston in an hour. Don't. Don't. There's a major, major problem here. Wouldn't that happen? And you're saying, what you're saying is the pilots last night told you, well, we might say something if we ran into them. Uh, I got to believe if the two guys, is that a guy and a gal last night? Yeah, Lauren and Harry. I, I got to think that Laurel and Harry would, would do exactly. Lauren. Huh? Lauren. Laurel and Harry. Hardy? Lauren. <laughs> Lauren and Harry. Yes. I got to think if they had some significant misbehavior of that flight, they would they would make sure it didn't leave the gate. I'm sure if they saw John on the jet bridge, yes, of course they would. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, again, they, they're... They're like two ships that aren't even passing in the night because there's so much time in between. Well, whatever. But, yes, you're right. Any any pilot would. Godspeed to them all. Right. Uh, dear Joe, two days ago I sent my father-in-law a video of called 
bleep bleep tea euphorians say. Remember that? We did a thing. <laughs> yes. He sent me a reply wondering why you were wearing your feeling go- golfy hat indoors. I would not have emailed you, but Wednesday you scolded a listener on this Ooh. very issue. Ooh. My question is, how do you rule on your own documented behavior? Can we get a double foghorn? Thanks, Derek Brennan. No. That's not analogous to dining with my hat on. Plus, that was a prop. That it was, was a, a, it was. I was supposed to wear that to do a bit for the. For who was I doing it for? I forget. It uh, people. I, I think it was for a, a Facebook video. But in your defense, I will say it immediately. It was. Uh, it was put on your head under protest, and it was immediately removed once the filming had uh, finished. Yeah, I, I. I don't wear a hat indoors. Who, who wrote that? I don't think that's much of a gotcha. I have gotcha. no defense. I have no need for defense, Derek. That's not a gotcha moment, Derek. Oh, sorry. That was funny. <laughs> yeah, you think I'd actually own a hat like that? I'm, what is it? I'm feeling golfy. Feeling golfy. <laughs> it was just one of the most dreadful hats I've ever seen in my life. Say the flooding has commanded the lead of the news in both newspapers and television stations here in the great Northland for about 10 days now. And I'm... I'm certainly certainly of the belief that there's going to be some inconveniences. There's going to be some flooding mm-hmm. because we've got a lot of snow on the ground. Yes. But we. Uh, but what I'm hoping is, I'm, I'm hoping this is overreached by news gathering institutions. What do you mean? I'm, I'm hoping the floods are are not going to be as severe as we're as we uh, keep being told they're going to be. I, I hope we get through this without a major major situation. Because we've had ideal conditions, a little bit of warming during the day and cooling at night. So we've had the ideal melting conditions. My point is, we've almost reached the point in culture where it becomes axiomatic that the more hysteria that is advertised about an event, the less likely it is for that event to be hysterical. So, and again, I am You're not, not talking about Henderson where the, yeah, the dike. I, I'm not suggesting that there won't be trouble. I, I, uh, we routinely have had trouble. 1965 was horrible flooding in 1965. Uh, and, and we're capable of uh, experiencing more horrible flooding. I'm mm-hmm. merely pointing out that as we look at the news, the way we've analyzed news over the last couple of years, it becomes axiomatic. I mean, we're on about the sixth 12-year period that we've told we have to live. Right, right. <laughs> We're on about the sixth 12-year extension. Home. Yeah. We've had uh, about five previous 12-year periods where we're not going to live. We're on about the sixth one now. I, again, let me repeat this for euphorians and people in Liberal Lakes and Diversityville. I'm not denying uh, flooding. Uh, there's going to be flooding. That's the way nature behaves when you get a big winter. And uh, I'm I merely, what I'm saying is, I'm hoping it's proven to be uh, less uh, catastrophic than is predicted. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Uh, can you uh, believe the amount of snow that we lost in, in, in several days? There's I old see brown. Old isn't that Isn't that unbelievable? Wonderful. Everything was piled so high. I, I noticed that on my way to work today. And every roof problem that was predicted to exist no longer exists. I did not have an ice dam problem, and I uh, I would like to thank the fine folks at Fradaloni's Ace Hardware, where I uh, spent uh, quite a bit of money making sure that didn't happen. I'm trying to think the last time I was in there. I spent about, I think I spent this year about, I don't know, six hundred, seven hundred thousand 700000 there. I, <laughs> I realized, I know your story is grand, but the uh, the one on Plato. 
I've never it been to that. Is one. always well. It's in an industrial hey, area. Hey, hey, Mike's not advertising. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll take it back. Say one size rarely fits all. Uh, that's why you order burgers differently. That's why there's different beers. One size doesn't fit all. That's why Federated Mutual Insurance Company tailors its insurance programs to individual businesses. They offer property and casualty, life, disability income insurance. Their marketing reps are the key. They love that company, by the way, Owatonna, Minnesota. They've been there a long time. They get to know your business, and they get to know how you operate it, and that allows them to customize the coverage you need. Uh, driving, for example, they'll talk to you about auto liability, cyber attacks. They even have data compromise coverage. Your business is unique. You need an insurance carrier who treats it that way. Get in touch with a federated insurance marketing representative to see how their second-to-none service can help your business thrive because at federated insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Hmm. Now, I mentioned at the top of the show that we've got two extraordinary audios today. Uh, yes. When, when we come back, we'll play the first of those two. Okay. All right. You want to take us to a break there, Slim? Let's do the first of two extraordinary Audios that I want GLers to hear. Bill Stein up in Aikens alerted me to this. And as he writes, this is this is beyond belief. Uh, this is a bit from Saturday Night Live in 2012. This doesn't need to be verified. This happened in yes. 2012. Yes. And, and Seth Meyers, I don't even know if he's still on the cast. He's not. He has, a, he has the late show with Seth Meyers now. He's graduated. Uh, he was doing the... Uh, the news weekend update. The weekend update, which is was a, has been a staple of the show since it debuted in 1975. I no longer watch it. I no longer watch late night television. These people are not funny. They just have political agendas, and I'm not interested in their uh, lack of wisdom in many <laughs> cases. But this was Seth Meyers uh, on the set of Weekend Update in 2012, and as Stein notes, this is this is prescient. They bring a woman on. Do you happen to know who the actress was? Cicely Strong is a uh, has been still a, on the cast. Has been a cast member for some time. Her yes. name is Cicely Strong. Yes, she she is brought on to the news uh, set uh, for a bit that's just called "A Woman You Regret Having a Conversation <laughs> With." It's Alexandria Occasional Cortex in looks, sound, words. It's extraordinary. It's like they looked seven years out into the future. Had their 3D printer ready right. and then made her. And it's not plausible to me. It's not plausible. Is it Sicily? Yes. It's not plausible to me that Sicily knew. No, there's no I way. I mean, it's plausible. But I say it's extraordinarily unlikely that seven years ago, Sicily, uh, whatever her name Strong. is. Strong. Sicily Strong. Uh, was so uh, impressed by the folly of the way Alexandria Occasional Cortex talks that that she decided to make it up and do a bit. <laughs> That's not it. She 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 comes out and does a woman who today we know as AOC. Here with her opinions is the girl you wish hadn't you hadn't started a conversation with at a party <laughs> seven years ago. Welcome back. All right, well, thank you. So are you excited about the holidays? Excited? I'm repulsed, Seth. 
all this commercialism around Christmas, it's an outrage. It's a tragedy. It's like, what are we even doing? And like, why? And like, don't. And you really seem like you're in the Christmas spirit. You mean the Christmas spirit? Oh, right. You don't care about Jesus because you worship Hallmark. Oh boy. You need to wake up and smell the music, Seth. There are homeless people out there who can't even pay their mortgages. Is that what George Washington had in mind when he started America? It's like, read something, Seth. Learn a book. Learn it? Fact. For every five people who are hungry, there are five people who are too full. It's like, switch stomachs. And fact. For every four men, there are two women. And that's just supposed to be acceptable? No. We need bipartisanship. Bipartisanship? Like ships that are bipartisan? Like ships that are bipartisan? You need to grow up, Seth. Because there are some people in Africa right now where it's like, no. Also, I'm sorry. Why can't Secret Santa just be openly gay? Like, hello, it's 2010. Hold on. Hold on. This is phone. not mm-hmm. my phone. Okay. Seth, can I do a mental show real quick? No. Okay, fine. You're reverse racist. That's even worse. Ingrid! Ingrid! I hate her. Seth, what'd you ask for for Christmas? I don't want to tell you. Would you relax? I'm just asking what you want for Christmas. Okay, well, I was hoping to get the new iPad. I asked for an end to genocide. Oh, come on. Okay? <laughs> So maybe next time you're on your new iPad, look up how to be a decent human being. I think I should just take a lab and meet some other people. Wait, give me like 40 more minutes. I gotta show you this thing my friend Trevor made. He's like gay, but he only hooks up with women. (laughs) It's origami. No, that's great. That's Spanish for goose. No, it (laughs) isn't. We don't have time for this. I think you should go. Okay, fine. I'll go. I have 14 words for you, Seth. Oh, boy. Peace, uh-huh. family, sustainable farming, don't kick pigeons, reading is our future, and minstrel show. Close your eyes, Seth. Why? No, I don't. no, close them. Why? Open them. Whoa. <laughs> Welcome to America, Seth. If you're on the party, you wish you hadn't started a conversation with. It's uncanny. That it's is, uncanny. It really is. Play, play. I know I banned it. How, how difficult would it be for you to uh, get the real occasional cortex? Uh, we won't play the whole thing because it, it drives people crazy. But can you find that? Find the uh, the one we've banned. Oh, the, the like one. Yeah. Uh, yes, it, I can. It's a montage. It's yes. not her in one setting, but it's just uncanny that it, seven years ago, Cicely Strong. Uh, Absolutely predicted. She even looks like her, by the way, yes. when you see the YouTube thing. I don't know how close you are to being able to play that. I'm throwing you a curveball, aren't I? Uh, that's okay. Rook and I are alone today. And uh, Rook is running the uh, running the uh, machinery 
that Reavers normally runs. Reavers and his father had to get up early and drive to Des Moines. Oh, that's what he's doing? To watch the Gophers play Louisville in the opening round. Well, unemployment is low because everyone has two jobs. Capitalism has not always existed in the world, and it will not always exist in the world. world. I would, uh, I would, I would support impeachment. We need to occupy every airport. We need to occupy every border. Uh, we, we need, need to, to play. The point, the point, I think, was well taken. We what we heard seven years ago on the set of Saturday Night Live was the absolute prediction that this woman was coming down the uh, coming down the the runway, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It's just amazing. Uh, I just want to read a note from uh, Kathleen for no other reason than I love when, when women write us to say that their husbands got them turned on to Garage Logic. Uh, I saw this email. I'm mm-hmm. glad you're reading it. And I was, I was moved. I, I thought I it don't was think, a neat email. I don't, I'm not sure I'm, I'm moved. I'm, I wasn't crying. I, was, uh, I thought it was a nice, gentle email. Hi, Joe and guys. My husband got me hooked on Garage Logic. I'm from Ohio, and I saw you many times at the Minnesota State Fair. I never realized how much fun it was listening to a radio show until I was introduced to Gumption County, and it became my official residence. Now you are on the podcast. I can listen anytime, and I love it. Your humor and common sense help me remember how many conversations we would have as we drove around town. These are just memories now that he passed on. Oh, he passed on. Yeah, he's gone. he's gone. Oh, well, that's why I was. I, I see. I, you I, have no I, heart I, of I read stone. right past. I don't know. If you prick me, do I not that's bleed? Like the, you do not have a heart of stone. I'm sorry, now Kathleen. You, now you I didn't realize. read it carefully okay. enough. Your uh, your humor and common sense helped me remember how many conversations we would have as we drove around town. These are just memories now that he has passed on, and I think about the ones we listened to on GL and laughed at the craziness you exposed. You have listeners here in the Buckeye State, and I get questioned often, what does GL on your window mean? I explain it is a little corner of sanity in an insane world. Thanks for always making me think. Sometimes too many do not remember how to. Good luck, Kathleen. Oh, thank Very you. Nice. I'm See, more moved yeah. now than I was. It was, See? it was a warm email. That's what I meant. I, I, uh, I did. Now I, you get it. Now, now I get it, it and I, I apologize profusely. I apologize profusely. Uh, let me tell you something. Uh, we're supposed to hit 60 maybe over the weekend. I think we will. It's not ideal motorcycling weather. You bikers know that. Too much sand on the road, too many potholes, still too much running water. But you know you're getting your bike ready, and you're in touch with DennisKirk.com. Uh, DennisKirk.com has more than 160,000 products in stock for you and your motorcycle. Great website, too. It doesn't matter what kind of bike you ride, Harley, Cruiser, Sport Bike, they have you taken care of. In a hurry for something you need, new tires, brake parts, what have you. Like I said, you're getting your bike ready. You place an order with DennisKirk.com by 8 o'clock today, 8 p.m. today, and you will get it tomorrow. That's hard to believe, but that's the way DennisKirk.com does business. DennisKirk.com, order today and get it tomorrow. Now we have a second fascinating audio, even better than the occasional course. Ten times better than the it's, uh, it's, uh, To reference it, it's uh, analogous to uh, the fellow we had in the other day, the Reverend Tim Christopher yes. from uh, uh, the Baptist Church of Minneapolis mm-hmm. talking about gun violence. Yep. And we, we have been alerted by Barry Shackle. Uh, Shackle uh, has alerted me to uh, uh, another uh, fellow who is making similar remarks, and it's just extraordinary. Stay tuned. the world as we know it, and he feels fine. Joe Sinturek. 
I want to read this email from Matthew Ballman. This is in regard to your question during the March 18 podcast. That would have been Monday. About what is the equation that the so-called group of scientists in consensus on climate change has come up with? But he's referring to my comment on Monday when I had a deep thought. And the deep thought was, well, wait a minute. If there's a consensus that the Earth is in peril due to our behavior, what what's the mathematical equation that results in us knowing how much carbon dioxide results in what kind of temperature variation? Right. Well, it, to my way of thinking, there isn't such a thing. And he, he continues, first, let me preface this with the fact that I am not a climate scientist. I am a process control engineer. Second, I will say I do not wholeheartedly agree with the concept of man-made climate change. We are immensely small compared to the planet Earth. However, size should not be the only parameter when talking about it. A human is about 3.5 million times smaller than the Earth, but a virus is about 14.6 million times smaller than a human, and they can wreak havoc on a human. I do agree that dumping tons of CO2 in the atmosphere should not be done willy-nilly, but it should not be the role of government to dictate what should be done. They can work to convince by debate, data, and appealing to the people's good nature what should be done, but they can't force us to do this. You say that all scientists have are models, and that is not an equation or science. You want to see the equation that shows if we get X tons of CO2 in the air, the average temperature will be Y. However, that is exactly what a model is. It is a set of equations based on science and math corroborated, at least somewhat, by past data. The reason reason that there is so much variability in one model, not to mention several different models that that climate scientists use, is that there are too many unknowns. And that is the key to the whole concept of climate change. There are so many unknowns in the equation. It isn't just if X, then Y. It is more if X, A, B, C, D, then Y. And all those other variables are interdependent on each other. So there is not not a magic bullet, just as there is not one equation that can be tied to climate change. Okay. That's kind of what I thought. Right. There is no equation. Right. I'll stick with the climate because you know I'm a denier. I wish there was so we could at least, then we would know, but there's not. I'm not a denier. I I agree with the climate change. I just deny that Dianne Feinstein can do anything about it. Right. Or Ilhan Omar or the occasional cortex. Uh, Most news gathering organizations, though, have it as a a built-in fact of their template. They're they're believers and... uh, would you say that's at the top of their list? It's right up there. Taxes, uh, health care, the, climate is really, that's their number one priority. NPR is, uh, they have signed on wholeheartedly, as have most news gathering organizations. It's not, it's a rare day that goes by that uh, the NPR news website doesn't have its daily hysteria. And today's is Minnesota's famed winter isn't what it used to be. Okay, okay I read this stuff. Uh, and it's a story about some guy out skiing and he doesn't have enough snow or whatever. Winter just isn't the same in Minnesota, and the and as the latest season ends, residents say their lifestyles are changing. Hmm. Minnesota is among the fastest warming states, and Minnesota's winters are warming faster than its other seasons. Data oh. from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration show that since 1970, Minnesota winters have warmed at an average rate of 1.1 degree per decade. 
That's more than five times faster than the rate of winter warming in previous years. Are these ass statistics? I guess not. It's from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. We've lost some of our winter weather mojo, said longtime meteorologist and uh, uh, Al Gore aficionado Paul Douglas. Uh, maybe one in four winters now today are old-fashioned pioneer winters where we really got socked with cold and snow. The other 70 to 75% of the winters are trending milder. Let me stop right there. Where is it written that pioneer winters are what we should be pining for? <laughs> oh, okay. I don't want a pioneer winter. Uh, also, and this is math, something else occurs to me that did not occur to me prior to the show. Minnesota winters have warmed at an average rate of 1.1 degree. You're going to do the math yeah, here, I got so my pay attention. Right here. Uh, Minnesota winters have warmed at an average rate of 1.1 degree per decade. Okay, that's 10 years. Okay. Uh, divide 10 into 1.1. Okay. In other words, what's the temperature rise per year in a decade in which you see a 1.1 degree increase in temperature? It's got to be point. It's got to be point zero zero something. Uh, zero point one one. Okay. So not one. One-tenth of a degree. That's right. So 1,100. You know what? We didn't even need to do the math. I, I could have even you figured that out. You could just slide that over. Yeah. 1,100th of a degree. Mm-hmm. That's You know what that is? Nothing. Uh, Minnesota and St. Paul just endured its snowiest February ever. Uh, okay. Uh, but overall, winter is warming fast by more than five degrees since 1970. Okay. Alaska and Vermont have also seen winters warm by more than five degrees. Okay. I'm, you know what I'm driving up. You know what I'm. You know what I'm building up to. Yep. You know what I'm building up to. My favorite <laughs> the thing magic in the whole sheet. world. The oh, magic sheet. My favorite sheet. thing in the whole world. Uh, so since 1970, we've been uh, dying. Minnesota's winter season has gotten shorter since 1970, with an average of 16 fewer days from the first frost to the last and about 12 days of less ice cover on the state's lakes. Give me a we don't know that. That's BS. That's uh, We don't know BS. that. The winter season is warming faster because greenhouse gases, of course, are trapping heat in the I'm not buying any of this. Okay. I, I'm a denier. I just don't buy any of this BS. Well, here's what I buy. Here's what I do buy. What do you buy? Okay, I buy it. I buy it. I accept that the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association uh, or administration, whatever the hell they are, They've, they're, they're telling me that since 1970, yep. our winters have warmed an average of 1.1 degree per 10 years. One per 10 years, yep. 1.1 so one degree. So that means each subsequent winter has warmed by one eleven hundredth of a degree. Or a tenth of a degree. Uh, okay. Is that is that yeah, am I yes. is that right? Yes. So what? <laughs> and even if you build off so of that, what? And so what? So in twenty years, if it's two tenths of a degree that it has risen, that's still minuscule. Now, you know when they when NPR uh, put uh, did this. Uh, they didn't know that I'd be sitting here with my Minnetonka uh, ice out date sheet. <laughs> right. And I repeat, 
uh, his go-to. I, I love this. I'll never let, let. I'll never lose this document. I know. Or Winnipesaukee. We had ice out dates for yes. Winnipesaukee. Vermont apparently is warming rapidly, according to this document from NPR. But Winnipesaukee ice out dates have not changed in 200 years. Not changed. That's proof. It's not proof of anything. But I have well, some questions. Okay. I have some questions. This is offered to us as an example of how much peril we're in. We're losing winter in Minnesota. We're losing winter. We're losing ice cover on the lakes. Then how come since 1855 there has been no variation in ice out dates on Lake Minnetonka? The earliest ice out date These are facts. recorded. This is from the uh, Freshwater Society. The earliest ice out date recorded was 2012, and it was March 21st. Last year, it was May 5th. So somebody could say, okay, Joe, it was March 21st in 2012, and that's the earliest you can find. Yeah, but it, next year it went back to May 2nd, then April 24th, April 5th, March 17th, March 27th. Last year, May 5th. The average is April 14th. Figures. It has never changed. So if this, so what? I guess what I'm saying is, okay, uh, okay, I accept your, I, I accept your statement here, uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. We uh, we've been increasing uh, temperature 1.1 degree per decade, uh, to which I would submit that hasn't made any difference in anything. Right. Right. One-tenth of a degree per year uh, certainly hasn't affected ice out dates. One-tenth of a degree per decade. Per de- no, one-tenth of a decade per year because it's 1.1 degree per decade. Okay, okay. That hasn't, so, okay, I accept that. I'm not alarmed. At what, at what <laughs> What's point, the point? Sure, at what point would we be alarmed? If it's maybe 10 degrees, 5 degrees? Give me an ice out. I said this before. If if it's true that this and now, I know what the Paul Douglases of the world will say, but this is cumulative. It's building up over time. Yeah, that's what nature that's does. What it does. That's what nature does. That's what it did in the ice age. That's when it melted. So well, so here, what I'm saying is, give me a Feb 28 ice out date. You you've been you've been singing me this song now for 20 years. You've been you've been telling me that. That humans are ruining it. It's not. This is the last gap of, gasp of Marxism is what this is. I'm not suggesting Paul Douglas is a Marxist. He's just become a useful uh, tool in this in this ridiculous right. movement. There's give me a March. Give me a March 10th. Give me a March 5th. Give me a Feb 28. Give me something. And they're, you know what their answer is going to be. Well, you're not going to move up an ice out date uh, with a one-tenth of a degree uh, increase per year. Okay. Then what's the problem? Right. This is just this <laughs> is nature being nature. And you can't do anything about it. And you can't put any – whatever gas you use or whatever light bulbs you use or whatever you choose to or not recycle does not have an impact. No, I'm a recycler. No, but I'm saying but that doesn't affect – that might affect the oceans, but, but it doesn't affect the temperature. But each story I get like this, I'm, I, I swear to God, I try to be open-minded. I, I read this, and I say, okay, uh, I can't find that this has made any difference. 
know, I'll go back to my lilacs. It'll. I don't have a long record right. of the lilacs, but I uh, I got the pictures. I got the proof. <laughs> he rolls it out every year. I can't him. wait for the pictures this year. It'll be coming. It'll be coming It'll May 24th or 25th. Yeah. And uh, that doesn't prove anything, just like ice-out dates don't prove anything. But then I submit to you, I will grant you National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, I will grant you that you are reporting to me a true fact. I'll I'll give you that. Hmm. But then what I'm going to suggest to you is, so what? So the bleep what? It hasn't amounted into any change. And they'll say, well, our our, uh, weather extremes are more violent. Well, no, as opposed to what? You're going to have to go a hell of a long way to equal the floods of 1965, for example. Uh, the worst blizzard in history we learned yesterday was 1972 in Iran. But the big picture. What? So what? What is your point here, people? So what? So so I'm accepting it. 1.1 degree temperature increase over a decade. So what? Boom. That's what it does. Nothing. You know what? And it gets colder. How do they explain the ice age and the melting of the ice age? When, when there was the guy, guy we had on from Maryland tried to do that, and he gave us some stuff about uh, you know the angle of the dangle. I don't know. You know, there was no factory built. There was no uh, spewing emissions. If we get ice out next year on Feb. 20. Mm-hmm. I'll be alert. I'll 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 be heads up. I'll I'll say, wow, what what's going it on? We got really, no. What you'll say for the first I, early I saw is, wow, did we have a mild winter? Mm-hmm. Well, but that would be an unprecedented mild winter, as far as we know. For all I know, in 1722, the ice went out on Lake Minnetonka on, uh, you know, on uh, either. Feb 15 or June 10th. I don't know. Look what he does when he doesn't have a sheet with him. (laughs) Last year, May 5th. It's going to be at least that this year. There's 26 inches of ice still in the lake. Oh, Solly, though. Pounding away right now. Sal's working. Oh, I'm sorry. There was a March 18th ice out date. That's the earliest. That was the year 2000. Okay. That was the year 2000. You're still not in February. You're well into March. No, there. the average is still April 14th. Yeah. Uh, of 164 ice out dates here, uh, 95% of them are in April. <laughs> it's a roll of the nature dice. Last year's May 5th ice out date on Minnetonka equals ice out date on Lake Minnetonka in 1857, May 5th. Okay. I won't dwell on that. I've been down this road, but I love it. I'll never forget that sheet. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is uh, a temperature increase of 1.1 degree over a 10-year period might be the least of this country's problems. You want me to name a few things that might be more of this country's problems? Name one. Deficit, uh, national debt, uh, terrorism, uh, divided nation, uh, the collapse of moral and ethical integrity, Immigration. Uh, I didn't say immigration. Integration. No. Testicular. Testicular. That's when I have a, uh, a quiz for your private part. That's a, what'd you do? A testicular? Uh, 
or maybe if you did well on your uh, on your exam and you were at the doctor, you were like magnificent. You were testicular. DennisKirk.com has more than 160,000 products in stock for you and your bike. It doesn't make any difference what kind of bike. They'll take care of Garden Hire's trike. You ride it, they have it. Free shipping on orders over 89 bucks. DennisKirk.com is the best place to get your stuff. Here's a man who spends hours in hardware stores, sticking through the nuts and bolts of life. Joe Tuchere. On Tuesday, we uh, we met a new friend, and we had in the studio uh, Tim Christopher, who is a uh, reverend at uh, Missionary Baptist Church in North Minneapolis. Berean Missionary Baptist. And we invited Tim on because we were... Uh, uh, captivated by testimony he was giving to a House committee at the Minnesota legislature as they were debating yet another endless series of new gun control measures. And Christopher showed up to to essentially push back and to say, you know, I realize you're here to try to do the right thing, but you have no earthly idea what you're doing and how this impacts my community. Now, as much as I enjoyed having Tim on and and will enjoy talking to him again, he didn't have any answers. My question for him was, what are you proposing? What he was most angry about is the influx of guns into North Minneapolis. But he has no idea how to stop that. Right. And he, he didn't. He didn't necessarily wish for a law to be created to stop it. So uh, he's a gun owner, and he uh, enjoys uh, sh- shooting at the range and whatnot. And uh, But he's just weary of dealing with these young people who uh, are, are getting uh, their hands on guns and committing crimes. Uh, I think what he's really weary about is uh, these gun control measures that that uniformly white liberal legislators come up with uh, really have nothing to do with anything except narrowing and narrowing and narrowing the rights of law-abiding citizens. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, I got a big problem here, and you're, whatever you're doing is not helping right. me. All right, so so that's to set up this next audio, which is fabulous. This comes to us from Barry Shackle. Shackle. Uh, who said, uh, great interview with the Reverend Timothy Christopher. His impassioned speech to the Legislative Committee was based on third principles, two of which are exemplified in the great video attached, which you may want to play the audio of on the air. First principle is that new gun laws won't stop criminals because they're criminals. They don't obey the law. The second principle is that new gun laws would only seek to come after law-abiding citizens and their Second Amendment rights. And third, that politicians aren't willing to do anything at the core of the problem as they paint the criminals as victims in the name of social justice and won't address the breakdown of the moral and ethical integrity of America. Reverend Tim addressed the third principle better than I could, so I will let the interview suffice for that one. Attached is an incredible short speech by another gentleman who addressed the Greensboro, North Carolina City Council regarding the very same issues as Reverend Christopher was talking about in the first two principles uh, just addressed above. Let me preface you hearing this by saying, is it Mark Anderson? Uh, Mark Robinson. Mark Robinson, the fellow you are about to hear, 
great big guy, mm-hmm. a big stocky guy. Uh, apparently there must have been a shooting or some youthful violence yes. in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, this is from April of 2018. Uh, that resulted in the city council uh, presumably taking up more and more uh, measures that, as we now know, really don't do a damn thing right. except continue to narrow and narrow and narrow the rights of honest people. Uh, and here is this fellow's response to what they were up to. Mr. Robinson? Yes. Okay. Uh, I didn't have time to uh, You prepare. have to give us your name. I'm sorry. My name is Mark Robinson. I live at 4015 Sassafras Court. That's right here in Greensboro. I've lived in Greensboro all my life. Uh, I didn't have time to write a fancy speech. I didn't have time to, you know, I didn't have the, the resource of an English teacher to sit down and write a speech with at school today and be, you know, bought over here or practice or anything. What I really came down here for is this. Uh, I've heard a whole lot of people in here talking tonight about this group and that group and domestic violence and blacks, these minorities and that minority. What I want to know is, when are you all going to start standing up for the majority? And here's who the majority is. I'm the majority. I'm a law-abiding citizen who's never shot anybody, never committed a serious crime, never committed a felony. I've never done anything like that. But it seems like every time we have one of these shootings, nobody wants to blame, put the blame where it goes, which is at the shooter's feet. You want to put it at my feet. You want to turn around and restrict my rights constitutional right that's spelled out in black and white. You want to restrict my right to buy a firearm and protect myself from some of the very people you're talking about in here tonight. It's ridiculous. I don't think Rod Serling could come up with a better script. It does not make any sense. The law-abiding citizens of this community and many communities around this country, we're the first ones taxed and the last ones considered, and the first ones punished when things like this happens, because our rights are the ones that are being taken away. That's the reason why I came out here today, gun show or no gun show, NRA or no NRA. I'm here to stand up for the law-abiding citizens of this community, because I'm going to tell you that what's going to happen. You can take the guns away from us all you want to. You all write a law, I follow the law, I'll bring my guns down here, I'll turn them in. But here's what's going to happen. The Crips and the Bloods on the other side of town, they're not going to turn their guns in. They're going to hold on to them. And what's going to happen when you have to send the police down there to go take them? The police can barely enforce the law as it is. As what I see, we demonize the police, criminalize and, and, and vilify the police, and we make the criminals into victims. And we're talking about restricting guns? How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that when the police department's already hamstrung? You're not going to be able to go down here and take these guns from these criminals. So the criminals are going to hold on to their guns. They're still going to have them. They're still going to break in my house, and they're still going to shoot me with them. And guess who's going to be the one that suffers? It's going to be me. Well, I'm here to tell you tonight, it is not going to happen without a fight. And when I say fight, I don't mean shots fired. I don't mean fists thrown. I mean I'm going to come down here to this city council and raise hell just like these loonies from the left do until you listen to the majority of the people in this city. And I am the majority. The majority of the people in this city are law-abiding. And they follow the law. And they want their constitutional right to be able to bear, to bear arms. 
They want to be able to gun go to the gun show and buy a hunting rifle or a sport, a sport rifle. There are no military-grade weapons sold, sold, uh, sold at the uh, gun show. An AR-15 is not a military-grade weapon. Anybody who would go into combat with an AR-15 is a fool. It's a semi-automatic 22 rifle. You'd be killed in 15 minutes in combat with that thing. So we need to dispel all these myths, and we need to drop all this, all this division that we got going on here. Because the bottom line is, when that Second Amendment was written, whether the framers liked it or not, they wrote it for everybody. And I am everybody. And the law abiding citizens of this city are everybody. And we want our rights, and we want to keep our rights. And by God, we're going to keep them. Come hell or high water. I'm voting for him for president. I'm writing him in. I'm writing him in. Holy. Here is a black man who has it completely figured out, who has completely figured out why the mystery is wrong. Here is a black man in Greensboro, North Carolina, who said, look at me, I'm the majority. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I am part of the majority of citizens in this country. What a fabulous, brilliant speech. He didn't have to have a speechwriter. He spoke from the heart. This is the greatest thing that could bring an end to liberalism. I mean the kind of liberalism that, I mean, hell, I'm liberal in many ways. What I mean is the greatest thing that could bring an end to the liberalism that is feeding us the mystery is to have, and I've been telling you this for five to ten years, black America has to stand up and push back. Black America has to say, quit doing us a favor. Black America has to say, uh, quit punishing my child less in school because you, you feel that he's been the victim of something systemically over the years. Quit doing us a favor. You're disingenuous. You're insulting. You don't mean it. And you have done nothing but keep us under your thumb for 50, 60, 75 years. And it's going to take uh, Mark Robinson and Tim Christopher and other black law-abiding gentlemen of this country to get their faces in front of these legislators and in front of the city council and straighten them out. That could do more to bring an end to the mystery than me coming in here every day and warning you about it. Amen and amen. Can we post that to our website so so listeners can watch this man? Um, I'm not, I don't remember what form it was in, but I will see if we can. Uh, if, uh, 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 Barry emailed it to us. I'll, I'll look. Whatever. Yes, we can. I'm sure we can. We'll be able to find I it. I want you to keep that. In the system, because there, there'll be occasions when I'll want to hear that again. Well, here's a, a super ray of hope, is we have two black guys that we know that are turning, Reverend Tim. We need two million. Well, may, we, let's start, we we're starting with million. two. And you know that, that you Mark... You know they're out there. Yes, and Mark Robinson, probably everybody on his block on Sassafras Lane or Sassafras whatever it was, Lane. <laughs> yes, in North Carolina, agrees with him. And now I, I think it sounds like what he, it sounds like that in reaction to something, the Greensboro City Council was what either threatening or had shut down a gun show or something. We're gonna ban this. You can't yeah. have this here. And, and he's there to say, you know who you're affecting? You're affecting me. I'm not the criminal. 
And in the in in, in in your pursuit of what you loony lefties are calling social justice, you're calling the people who shoot at me victims. You want to take away my right to defend myself? Well, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Yeah. The Crips and the Bloods aren't going to come down here and give you their guns. Lord. They're going to come and rob my house and shoot me, and I'm going to be defenseless. So who gets hurt again? Me. What? Uh, this guy is really <laughs> the loony left. Yeah. Well, I'm going to come down here just like the loony left does, and they shoot off their mouth. Black people, well, all people, but black people can have a significant impact pushing back because black people, you have been used by the left. You have been used by the left. Please wake up to that. They do not have your best interest at heart. I think the most Mark Robinson has your best interest at heart. Tim Christopher has your best interest at heart. These people do not. What Reverend Tim said the other day uh, with the, the the breakdown of the family yep. and these guys getting out of um, prison and not being able to you know, do anything, a, a great program would be have these guys come out of prison, pay them $11 an hour cash. They don't have to pay any taxes because that would just be recycling tax money. Let them and give them a, a, a job that will allow them to work hard, get skills, and, and they're on their way. Right now, not being able to afford a toiletries is setting them up for failure. All right. What I want to do, though, is is prevent prison in the first place. But Agreed. What I want to do is restore moral and ethical integrity, and that's going to require the restoration of the family. That's going to require restoration of faith. That's going to require this nation to get back to being God-fearing. It's going to require more and more Mark Robinsons pushing back at city council meetings, giving them the straight, straight information about what's happening in their city, just like this Mr. Robinson just did. I'm telling you, that's one of the most brilliant speeches I've ever heard. <laughs> he just and he just went and there and laid it, it out. He looked like he was winging it. He didn't have a piece of paper or he anything. didn't reference anything. And he uh, didn't use profanity. He 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 just laid into them. He laid into them. That's what has to happen. And they applauded him. Yeah. All the people in there applauded him when he just he did a drop the mic when he was done and just walked out. But this is if this is the new trend. Think of how effective uh, it would be for these community members to say, all right, guys, we have to turn this around. I'm talking. Who's with me? And then the dominoes just start falling. They're all going to be right. They're all going to be right behind these guys. That you now know what we mean by pushing back. Do you think Mark Robinson would tolerate for five minutes the silly, whimsical nonsense of the lunatic left in this country? I, I don't think so. I, I know. I'm, I'm 99% sure. You think for five minutes he's going to tolerate microaggressions, cultural appropriation? Do you think for five minutes a guy like that is going to uh, support the failed academy? I don't think so. I wonder what his upbringing was. I wonder what he, what what made him go along these lines of thinking because it would not be popular. You're saying something crucial. And what you're saying is you've been brainwashed by the left yes. into believing that black Americans uh, are not... Are, are, uh, let me be very careful saying this. What the left has painted is a picture of black America that needs the help of the left. 
Mark Robinson is there to tell you B as in B, S as in S. Let me live my life. I don't like your BS ideas. I pay my taxes. I'm a law-abiding man in this town. I grew up in Greensboro. I continue to live here. And all you're doing, all you're doing is you're winnowing away the rights of perfectly law-abiding law-abiding citizens of whom I am one. Look at me. I am the majority, he said. I'm the majority. Here, here, sir. Here, here. Say, uh, you don't want your daughter's engagement ring to be bigger than your wife's? No. Uh, you know, yeah, it gets you in a lot of trouble. Yeah. yeah, it gets you in a lot of trouble. Well, the the people at Moeller Jewelers have been helping guys like us solve this problem for 67 years. Here's what they'll do. They'll take her original diamond in on trade and provide you with a diamond that will terribly impress her every time she looks at it. Uh, people that have done this uh, wish they would have done it years ago. Uh, the Moeller staff is registered jewelers, certified gemologists, and certified gemologist appraisers. They're qualified to show you the difference between a Moeller diamond and the diamonds all other jewelers sell. And if it's price you're worried about, I've known these people for 20, 30 years, and I can tell you they've never lost a sale because of price. And if you don't believe me, go online and look at the reviews. R.F. Moeller Jeweler, 50th in France in Edina, the flagship where Dad founded it, Ford in Cleveland and St. Paul, Gavaday Common in downtown Minneapolis, or on the web at rfmoeller.com. Marks to the Greensboro, North Carolina City Council. I just want to hear him say again that he's the majority. Mr. Robinson? Yes. Uh, I didn't have time to. Uh, you have to give us your name. Oh, I'm sorry. My name is Mark Robinson. I live at 4015 Sassafras Court. That's right here in Greensboro. Lived in Greensboro all my life. Uh, I didn't have time to write a fancy speech. I didn't have time to, you know, I didn't have the the resource of an English teacher to sit down and write a speech with at school today and be you know, bought over here or practice or anything. <laughs> what I really came down here for is this. Uh, I've heard a whole lot of people in here talking tonight about this group and that group and domestic violence and blacks, these minorities and that minority. What I want to know is, when are you all going to start standing up for the majority? And here's who the majority is. I'm the majority. Perfect. That was April 3rd. 2018, and he was speaking after the mayor of Greensboro, Nancy Vaughn, a Democrat, suggested that the city cancel a gun show set for August 2018 at the city-owned Greensboro Coliseum, and she did so in the wake of the deadly school shooting in Parkland, Florida, according to the Greensboro News and Record. Okay. Uh, and, and so there again, that's a typical leftist reaction. Let's prevent law-abiding Mark Robinsons of the world attend their gun shows because we're going to demonstrate our virtue to you and close this down. Right. Uh, if you, uh, you can, we don't need to post this. If you go to the Google and type in Mark Robinson Greensboro, you'll have access to his remarks. You'll have access to the video yourself. So if you want to, if you want to see this brilliant fellow, uh, you go to uh, go to the Google and type in Mark Robinson Greensboro, North Carolina. You can uh, have filters on internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internet. 
Robinson told the uh, the uh, uh, newspaper that he doesn't currently own a firearm, but said the suggestion of canceling a gun show that law-abiding citizens would want to attend, attend troubled him. I do not own a gun currently. I am in the market for one, said Robinson, a member of the Army Reserve from 1985 to 1989. I want to purchase a firearm, which is what piqued my interest about the gun show anyway. He said his friends recommended the event as the perfect place to buy a gun. But Robinson said he would have been upset by the mayor's proposal to cancel the show, even if he hadn't planned to shop there. Hmm. I would still have been outraged by it if I had no plans to buy a firearm, because like I said, I have no plans to hire an attorney, but that doesn't mean I want my right to counsel taken away. Those rights need to be preserved. Robinson and his wife, Yolanda, have been married for 28 years. They have a son, 26, and a daughter, 24, who recently got married and has her own eight-month-old son. Robinson is a furniture maker. He said he awakened to his conservative values over 30 years ago when a friend challenged him on something he said about a conservative commentator. Now, see, even the way that's written, they're not even, he doesn't even have conservative values. Aren't those normal American values? Right. But we've been sold a bill of goods. We've been told that those are those are well, those are right wing values. Right. No, they're not. This guy's a God fearing, law abiding, married guy with two uh, Army Reserve employed, two kids. Those are American values he's talking about. That's why we need the pushback. I set out to prove him wrong and ended up finding out, actually, that I was a conservative. I found out from this conservative commentator that I had more in common than I thought, Robinson said. From that point on, I began to question everything politically from a political lens. And this whole issue of the Second Amendment has risen up to the point where someone like me, who has been politically aware for so long, it's not hard to see that the Second Amendment is under attack. And having studied history for as long as I have studied it, it is not hard to see why it's under attack. So that's what actually led me to have such strong convictions on the Second Amendment. Robinson credits his parents with planting the seeds that led to his conservative awakening. Fairness was something that was paramount in our household, Robinson said. I can say that it is partly due to the way I was raised because fairness is something that has always been instilled in me. And I think that the way that a lot of Americans are being treated right now, particularly on this issue of the Second Amendment, is just something that is not fair. Uh, my message would be, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to stand up and live and fight, he said. When I say fight, I don't mean with your fist. It hasn't doesn't have to come to that. But do not be afraid to stand up and make your voice heard, no matter what anybody says to you, as long as you stand up for courage and the truth. Do not be afraid, because the people who got us to where we are certainly weren't. Isn't that... Well, I'm gonna, bless you. I'm going to credit his upbringing with with whoever his parents were must have been pretty steady. There and was, there was no breakdown of moral and ethical integrity in the upbringing of Mark Robinson. Plus, the military part probably didn't hurt either. Where he, no. you know, he no. that that probably solidified his base for growing up. I'd love to know more about him and his run for president. But you go to the Google. Uh, and you'll 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 get it right there. You'll get it right there. What is the left up to in the failed academy? Yeah. Well, we're gonna take Huck Finn out of more schools. That's the answer, huh? Yeah. I wonder what, what do you think Mark Robinson would say about that? What do you think he'd say about that? Get out of my empty head. That was my next line. <laughs> Two New Jersey lawmakers want Mark Twain's eighteen eighty four novel. It was really the first book about kids that acknowledge their humanity. Okay. Uh uh, as opposed to oh, you know the Dickinsonian type characters, there were there were there was the kids, but they weren't 
they weren't viewed as kids. Right. Uh, Twain uh, Twain acknowledged the existence of youth. You know. Uh, uh, two New Jersey lawmakers want Twain's 1884 novel, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, removed from the curricula in all the state schools over its controversial, controversial use of the N-word and its depiction of racist attitudes. Uh, they, they weren't racist attitudes. They were the attitudes of the day. If successful, New Jersey schools would join districts in four other states in banning the book from required reading lists. Here's where black parents in New Jersey, have to go to the school board meeting, and they have to push back and say, don't do me a favor. Right. Because listen to this. New Jersey, uh, the bill uh, was filed, uh, to get the books out of there, uh, was filed by New Jersey State Assembly members Verlina Reynolds-Jackson, a Democrat, and Jamel Holly, a Democrat, uh, who argues that the use of a racial slur and its depictions of racist attitudes can cause students to feel upset and marginalized. The resolution notes that several school districts in the U.S. have already replaced Huck Finn in their curricula, including in Pennsylvania, Virginia, Minnesota, it's up in Duluth, remember, and Mississippi. Reynolds, Jackson, and Holly echoed the language used by Michael Carey in Duluth, Minnesota, the school district's director of curriculum and instruction when he put when he put Huck when he pulled Huck Finn from the required reading last year. Carey told the Duluth News Tribune, we felt we could still teach the same standards and expectations through other novels that didn't require students to feel humiliated or marginalized by the use of racial slurs. <sighs> It's on the American Library Association's list of the 100 most frequently challenged books. That's a crying shame. And I would love to know. It's too late today. We'll figure out maybe how to call Mark Robinson and say, Hey, Mark, will you let your kid read Huck Finn? (laughs) Right. This, uh, This does not have to do with Huck Finn, but here's President Obama on To Kill a Mockingbird. I remember that, yeah. Fifty years ago, a film came along that instantly captivated the nation. Based on the timeless novel by Harper Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird brought to life an unforgettable tale of courage and conviction, of doing what was right, no matter what the cost. And it gave us one of the great heroes of American cinema, Atticus Finch, played so memorably by the late Gregory Peck. Half a century later, the power of this extraordinary film endures. It still speaks to us. It still tells us something about who we are as a people and the common values that we all share. So I hope you enjoy the film. And if you haven't already, I hope you get a chance to read the book. It's an American classic, and it's one of my family's favorites. Now, to kill a mockingbird. And now I'm going to go out and have a smoke out in the back. That was one of the most uncharacteristically... Uh, sensible things he ever said in eight years. <laughs> yes. It was it's fabulous, but it's it's impactful because every oh you got to take to kill a mockingbird out. You got to take Huck Finn out. It's uh, I'm glad that he said that. More on the failed academy as it relates to failed news gathering. Hmm. <laughs> Poor guy, you being the, the newspaper man for so many years. And a radio guy. A lot of good it did. It really has suffered. And that hurts you, doesn't it? That pains you. Is it, in, is it integrity or is it just I don't care anymore? 
What is? Uh, news coverage, newspapers and television. Do you think it's a lack of integrity? You know it's a lack of curiosity. The, the principal problem I'm personally facing is, and, and everyone who remains working for the Pioneer Press, for example, mm-hmm. the most principal problem we're facing is a, a really pathetic ownership, an ownership who doesn't care, mm-hmm. an ownership who has picked us clean, an ownership who has harvested all the profits they can, leaving a shell of an operation. Okay. It's, it's hurting the country. It's hurting the country. I've told you. Melvin Carter has 16 people on a cabinet. No mayor got away with that or would have even thought about it when newspapers routinely staffed City Hall with bureaus of seven and eight people who were there every single day in their own headquarters with their typewriters. Hmm. The, the 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 most alarming problem in the news gathering industry, aside from their, most of them having templates and agendas, is that uh, the uh, consumer has no idea how much news they're not getting. I never thought about that way. What are we not being told? I'll give you I'll give you a vignette. Okay. I've told you the one about Thanksgiving. I've written oh, on yeah. Thanksgiving morning. Every day of my life for the last 45 years. I just like it. There's, it's quiet. Get out of the house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're done. You're given the, what one job are you given? Uh, get out of the house. No. When, when you are given a task, it's always easy to tell the man, here, you go and vacuum. Yeah, whatever. You go vacuum. Anyway, anyway, I went down on Thanksgiving, just this past Thanksgiving, and all the lights were off. And, and I didn't know how to turn them on. I couldn't find... I, I literally couldn't find where they were. I couldn't find the bank of lights to turn on. I looked around. I have a flashlight with me because I'm the flashlight king. I was going to get out of here. I was going to say the flashlight king should have a flashlight. Still couldn't do it. Okay. So I didn't write. Went down to data write. And log on and it says, your account has expired. Oh. The computer would not let me in. And I looked around. Not a soul there. I didn't know who to turn to for help. This is above my pay grade. Your account has expired. It's a simple fix that somebody with a with with knowledge could handle. Someone in IT. So I called uh, this gal who would help me with some. Uh, she's the se- editor's secretary. Yep. But turns out uh, she's taking the day off. So, but I told her what happened. This is in my car driving here. Yep. And she said, "Well, I'll get it taken care of." And she did. Boom, just like that. But I couldn't have got it taken care of. You looked to your left and looked to your right. What, you didn't the, even hear the buzz. In, of in the heyday of the industry, when I was at the Tribune, there were computer guys hovering about. So one of them was a guy named Bruce Adamite. I can still remember his name. Uh, he was so if you had a problem, you'd say, hey, Bruce, come here. Bing, bang, boom, was fixed. The, the staff doesn't exist anymore. There's no bustling. You, you can't feel the building shake when the, no. when the printers start printing. You used to be able to at the Tribune. Really? When I first started, I thought the tri- was a movie. Oh no, the Tribune, the presses were in, were one floor below us. But when they ran, you felt it. Wow. Oh, I I couldn't love it more. <laughs> I couldn't have loved it more. Absence of malice. New York University has hired uh, Talia Levin, an adjunct journalism professor. Less than a year after the former New Yorker fact checker resigned 
from the New Yorker. After falsely accusing an immigration and customs enforcement agent of having a Nazi tattoo. Oh, that's pretty strong. Levin's undergraduate course, Reporting on the Far Right, in the fall semester of 2019 at NYU's Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute. In its officialty, it's an in its official faculty bio, the university billed Levin as an expert in far-right extremism and social justice. This is what journalism schools have become? This is pathetic. Do you think NYU has a reporter, uh, much less a dishonest one, uh, to cover left-wing extremism? Um, probably not. I don't think there's a section in the newsroom. At least one current NYU journalism student questioned the decision to hire Levin. I sympathize with Levin's politics. Of course you do. You're in the failed academy. But I don't know why someone who had to quit their journalism job for falsely implying someone as a Nazi should be teaching at NYU, said the student who requested anonymity for fear of academic reprisal. <laughs> he feared reprisal for questioning why would you hire this dishonest person. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I know there are plenty of reporters out there in need of work who haven't made a mistake like that. And Levin declined to comment. Uh, this is a website called The Rap. She declined to comment for the story. And reps for NYU's uh, journalism department and university president Andrew Hamilton did not respond to requests for comment. Well, Fox just hired Donna Brazil. That's um, who's dishonest. Right. Donna she Brazil was... fed debate questions to Hillary. Right. Was caught at it. Why should she get a job? Dismissed. Uh, don't worry about Decline it. Decline of moral and ethical integrity. Why should this person end up with landing a job at NYU? After leaving the New Yorker last June, Levin was hired by the liberal media watchdog group Media Matters. Uh, less than a month later to focus on far-right extremism. Through her LinkedIn profile lists that she currently works there. A spokesperson for the organization confirmed that she was no longer employed there. Uh, neither Levin's three-year tenure at the New Yorker nor her stint at Media Matters are mentioned on her official NYU faculty bio. Her career promptly blew up last June after she accused, uh, looks like, uh, Justin Gartner, a wheelchair-bound ICE agent, of having a Nazi Iron Cross tattoo over his left elbow. Levin made the charge in a tweet after viewing a photo of Gartner online. She later deleted her tweet after she, had a, after she said a number of people responded and informed her that the tattoo in question appeared to be a Maltese cross, a symbol commonly used by members of the U.S. veterans of foreign wars. That, however, was not enough for the critics. The story blew up on social media, and Levin has earned a lengthy rebuke from ICE itself as well as the New Yorker. The personal social media accounts of staff members do not represent the magazine, and we in no way share the viewpoint expressed in this tweet, a magazine spokesperson told National Review. The tweet has been deleted, and we deeply regret any harm that this may have caused Mr. Gartner. Uh, that's a non-apology apology. Sure is. Uh, in a Twitter thread, Levin soon announced her resignation from the magazine and apologized to Gartner over the error. She also criticized ICE, saying it was not acceptable for the agency to attack her personally over the mistake. It was, oh, it was not acceptable? What, just prof professionally, not personally? I can't take it. I just can't take it. Honest to God. Mm. Boy, I really wish I could play. He's just not made for these times. <laughs> yeah, you you all you listeners are aware of that, aren't you? We can't uh, play music. 
because of some. Uh, I think I think the day will come when we can. I, I think so. But I think down the road. I don't. I, I I think you can on radio because you must have you must have paid a fee to do that to ask Cap or BMI. But maybe the fee is so <laughs> cost prohibitive for this is not just our podcast. Virtually all the podcasts I'm aware of cannot play the music you're familiar with. Correct. That's why you we can't use, play uh, copyrighted music. Don't forget Moeller. Oh, They've I been helping what? guys like us for 67 years get things straightened out. If you go in there to buy a diamond, you're going to be taken care of. You're going to go in there to buy a watch. Remember, you're not buying something to tell time. You can do that on your phone. You're buying an heirloom. You're buying a family treasure. R.F. Moeller Jeweler, 50th in France in Edina, Ford in Cleveland and St. Paul, Gabaday Common in downtown Minneapolis, and on the web at rfmoeller.com. Thank you, you to Moeller. Huh? Yeah, just like the old days, huh? Okay. Wow. Well, that went very fast. I'm going to zip over to Moeller soon here, too. Fun as usual. Uh, yeah, that was number 121, and we we had a great Octavia Occasional Cortex uh, sound alike from 12, 2012, and we got to know our new hero, Mark Robinson, in Greensboro, North Carolina. President, president Mark Robinson. The future president of the United States of America. Well, if you would like to poke around to find some podcast while you're on spring break, or you're going to tell some friends or neighbors about the podcast. See my ice out sheet here? Yeah, will you put Never going to lose that. I'm going to laminate that for you. I ain't going to lose that. Go to garagelogic.com. Get the, the features page. It's a drop-down. And you'll see some of the books on Joe's bookshelf and some of the great creations from Mr. Greg Holcomb. Garage Logic podcast version number 121. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in.